Welcome to Wildly Empowered Women. I'm your host, Jessica Zellens, and this is the Espresso Martini for Your Feminine. Let's go take a sip. Welcome back to Wildly Empowered Women. This week, I have the beautiful Amanda Bodine with me. And Amanda and I started chatting on Instagram a few weeks ago, and we're going back and forth with, you know, voice notes after only a couple of days because we have such similar journeys when it came to our love for low-tox living and our fertility journey. And This is really a topic I've wanted to bring to the podcast for a while. So I'm really grateful for you, Amanda. I think, you know, the stars have aligned and I'm really excited for this conversation. And I want to preface this for the listeners that if you're on a journey trying to conceive or you will be in the future or you know of someone that's on this journey, I really want you to just know that it's possible. And our stories, you know, we'll, we'll be sharing exactly what we did to fall pregnant against all the odds, against what we were told. And I want you to just remember that anyone can do this if you really have the right mindset. And it's like anything in life, like you really just have to commit and hold the faith and be expectant of it before you necessarily have evidence. So we'll get into it. Amanda is a beautiful mama who has been a stay-at-home mum for three and a half years after she left her career and fell in love with low-tox living. And a big part of her fertility journey was really dedicating to this type of lifestyle. And now she helps women to also live that lifestyle. And she's got such an incredible knowledge around low-tox living. So thank you so much for joining, Amanda. So great to have you here. Is there anything you wanted to add in terms of your background for the listeners? No, you did a great job, Jessica. Thank you for introducing me. You know, I did leave my career. I was a teacher and um, had only been a teacher for a couple of years, actually. Before that, I had done sales and, um, you know, countless, you know, sort of jobs where I was never very happy. And I was really happy with teaching. And then I was, you know, I fell pregnant with Tula, my daughter. And shortly after she was born, the world shut down and I left my teaching career and I stayed home with her full time. And so I have been really dedicated to this low tox journey for myself, but mostly for her. Mm, That's beautiful. And so take us back to when you first decided you wanted to fall pregnant. Like, what did that look like? Where were you at? How did that start? (laughs) So, you know what? I didn't always want to be a mother. I I assumed it would happen. It was, um, you know, growing up, I'm a a child of the 80s. And so I always just assumed that I would have children. But it wasn't something that I fantasized about. I know all my friends couldn't wait to be mommies. And it just wasn't something that I dreamed about. But I just assumed that it would happen. And as I, you know, progressed through my 20s and my early 30s, I was sort of the friend who, you know, I didn't get married like everybody else did. And I wasn't having babies like everybody else was having. And I was okay with that. I was really happy with my independent lifestyle that I had. And then as my 30s progressed on, uh, I, I just, my, my 35th birthday was, was, was coming up and I finally felt that pull that I just really wanted to be a mom. And 
I wasn't in a serious relationship. I didn't have a partner and I was okay with that. And I just decided that I I was going to place my order with the universe. I was going to, you know, I was going to put it out there that I wanted to be a mom and however that was going to look, I was okay with it. I I really, it was a, a no hands on the wheel sort of journey for me. I, you know, I did my part, <laughs> obviously I, I was, you know, having sex whenever I wanted to have sex. But uh, other than that, that was, that was it. I didn't place any sort of restrictions or parameters around how it was going to happen or how it needed to happen or what it needed to look like. And so I was sitting around a table um, at brunch with my girlfriends on my 35th birthday. And I announced, I said, I, I'm going to be a mom. I want to be a mommy. And I think I'm going to get pregnant this year. <laughs> they were stunned <laughs> because that was not something they expected from me. And so we toasted to my birthday and to my birthday wish with um, a glass of champagne. <laughs> and we really didn't talk about it after that. It was just, a, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, they were like, okay, we'll believe it when it happens. And I just never, I never let go of the idea that at some point I was going to be a mom and it was going to happen. And yeah. Love that. It's so <laughs> about setting the intention, isn't it? And my mom and yes. I did a, a episode a few weeks ago talking about how important it is to know what you want and be expectant, even when the evidence isn't there. It like don't get attached right. to the outcome or the how or the vehicle. Like if you want something, if you get too strategic and in your head about it, like that's that actually is doubt. That all that does is breed doubt rather than keeping the faith, keeping the belief and just knowing and having that, like it sounds like you had that deep sense of like just that feminine intuition that it was going to happen. Absolutely. Mm. I really did. Yes. For me, it was basically, like I said, like having sex, being sexually active when I felt the need to or want to, that was really the only thing and everything else. It was, it was the only time in my life that and I can and even now, and I wish I could, I wish I could recreate it, but it was the only time in my life where I really took away all expectation and I mm. just allowed it to happen the way it needed to happen. I never, I didn't get upset when my period showed up. I wasn't angry with the universe. I wasn't angry with myself or my body or my circumstances. It just was what it was. It was another month of not, you know, Hey, another month of just life is I know it. Um, but I knew that it would happen. And I, I think intuitively, I just knew that I needed to allow it to unfold the way it needed to unfold because mm. it wasn't something that I had always imagined. Mm. And maybe that can be harder for someone who has imagined it to happen in some way, in a particular way. And so you can get really tied up in the, the way it, it looks in your mind and the way that you've imagined it. And I think you can block those blessings when you when you start to notice that maybe it's not unfolding the way you think it should, or it doesn't look like it's supposed to look, the journey isn't happening the way you've imagined it. And I think that was one of the, the best parts of my journey to getting pregnant with Tula was that I, I truly allowed it to just happen. Mm, that's awesome. So what happened next? So you set the intention, you were like, you know, just going with the flow and knowing and having that like inner trust that it would happen. What happened next? Yes. 
So it was, it was 13 months, I will say. So I had another birthday. And at that point, I had met someone and I really, really liked him. And, I, and, and he really liked me. <laughs> um, and we were together often, all the time, actually. And it happened very quickly. We had been dating for a couple of months. And I found out that I was pregnant the weekend before Mother's Day. And yeah, it was a really kind of an interesting gift. And so finding out that I was pregnant, it was interesting because it was something that I wanted, but that's when the fear set in. I got really afraid, not that, well, honestly, yeah, I was afraid that because I had gotten something that I said I wanted and that I was, I was terrified that it would be taken away. The fear of losing my pregnancy um, or not working out in the best way possible, that was really difficult. And I struggled with that a lot, but I told my partner that I was pregnant and he was very receptive and very loving. And we sort of decided that, okay, we're good. (laughs) This wasn't exactly how, how he expected things to go so quickly. And honestly, I did not expect to get pregnant as quickly as I did, but it did. And we decided to ride that, you know, beautiful wave together. It was a very difficult first trimester for me because I was, I was very afraid that, um, that I had finally gotten something that I really, really wanted. And I think I had been a little bit afraid to, to, to show how much I wanted it. It was a difficult first trimester for those reasons. And the fact that I was, you know, 36 and pregnant, um, I mean, I don't like the term geriatric pregnancy, but it definitely, um, it was something that was in the back of my mind at all times that, you know, I was, I was a bit older than um, most women are the way they make us feel that most women are when they're pregnant. And so that was something that I worried about also. Mm. And what an incredible journey to get there in the first place. And what a lesson to, yeah, that this is a lesson that so many people go through and it's, a really important time to really be conscious of your thoughts when you do get something that you've wanted. Instead of, I had someone that I was coaching the other day say, you know, she basically manifested in like a really amazing amount of money that she needed for something like a very specific amount. And she said, when it happened, she was like, am I deserving of this? Am I worthy? Like, why should I get this over others? And I said to her, change your thoughts to be, how does it get even better? Because if you, if you think about all the bad things that could happen or you don't feel worthy or you focus on those things, you're actually going to, like, that's what you'll attract. You'll, you'll reject yeah. the, you'll repel is the word. You'll repel yes. it from happening or, or from maintaining it. It's why, you know, and obviously you were strong enough to, you know, keep, keep the positivity there and start to yeah. really change your thoughts. So what happened next? And tell us about, like, you know, how Lotox sort of weaved into this. So it was, you know, because one of the reasons why I think I, I wanted to, I wasn't sure if I ever wanted to be a mom was because I, I, I sort of understood in a way without really knowing, without having the knowledge, I did understand that, you know, we live in a very polluted environment and, you know, children get sick and they're getting sicker than they used to. And we're all, you know, sicker than we used to be, you know? And so for me, it was, I think one of the reasons why I, I, 
I almost sort of held off from even desiring children was that fear of just, of not keeping her, like not keeping my children safe. Like what if they got sick? You know, childhood cancer is this real thing and, and stuff like that really was traumatic for me and in, in, in my thoughts. And so realizing that I was pregnant, I immediately went into, you know, what can I do to make sure that my baby is born and is born as healthy as possible? In my mind, I thought I had nine months to get it all right. I had nine months to get the outside environment, you know, correct, low tox, non-toxic. What do I need to change? Like new laundry detergents, new cleaning supplies, like things like that, things that I know that, you know, could be harmful. But what I didn't know and what I know now is that I had those nine months also to be concerned about what I was putting on my skin and be concerned about, you know, all the different types of nutrients. Like, you know, I understood I needed to eat well. I needed to take my prenatals. I needed to drink, you know, filtered water, you know, things like that. But I didn't realize all the other ways that I could have been protecting my body and her body. And so that for me feels like a bit of a, a regret uh, which I think is one reason why I'm so passionate about educating women that they have you know, a lot of power to use safer products and to protect themselves and to protect their babies, even while they're pregnant, because our wombs are not the sterile environment that we once were told that they are. It's just not the case. We know that pollution and pesticides and um, you know, all the pollutants that they cross that um, placental barrier, you know, they come in through the cord blood. So for me, though, I felt good about changing things in my environment, but I didn't know enough. And it wasn't until after she was born and born healthy, she was only five pounds. <laughs> she did have low birth weight, um, but she was healthy otherwise. And, but it wasn't until that when I really started to dive in and, and think of all of the ways that I needed to um, make her environment as safe as possible and as low tox as possible, but so that she didn't have, you know, I, you know, in a few years, we don't find out that, you know, she has ADHD or, you know, she's, you know, dealing with some behavioral disorder, or she has unexplained depression and anxiety, things like that. That time after she was born is really when I got serious about low tox. And I wish I, I almost wish I had that nine months back, um, granted I was dealing with a lot of emotions and depression. I had prenatal depression and, you know, my body was changing and, you know, we all sort of experience our pregnancies differently, but I do sometimes wish that I had those nine months back to make the low tox changes that I could have made. And so what were the main things that you did in the preparation for her coming, like in, in those first few months when she was there, what, what were some of the actual things that you did? After she was born. Yeah. I was really, dil so we, I, I breastfed her. I was lucky enough to mm -hmm. be able to do that. Um, and so we didn't have to worry about formula or supplementing. And so I didn't have to, you know, research ingredients and, <laughs> and drive myself crazy with that yeah. sort of thing. But, you know, when it came to, um, you know, we didn't burn candles in the house. You know, I was able to, you know, I did understand I, I burned them while I was pregnant. Um, again, a regret, but we didn't burn candles in the house. Um, 
we had switched out um, like our detergents and things like that. One of the things, I don't know if you guys have Dreft, but Dreft is very popular in the United States and it's a baby uh, detergent. It's marketed towards, you know, mothers to use for their babies and all their you know, baby clothes will smell like baby. Anyway, it's ridiculous. And there's so much fragrance and so many toxic chemicals in this in this detergent marketed for babies. And so thankfully I, you know, we didn't have any of that in the house. Um, but it really was like an, like eliminating fragrance was a big deal for me. And it actually made it really difficult, um, for me to have a relationship with my mother because she has those fragrance bombs everywhere in the house. And I, when I realized how toxic it was, I was like, we can't come over. We can't come over because there's, you know, every, every five minutes, there's something spritzing in the mm -hmm. air. Um, you know, and so, uh, but filtering our water became really important. Everything that, um, anything that I fed Tula had to be organic. Um, you know, when we got to that point where, you know, we were doing baby led weaning and she was starting to take on, you know, solid foods, like it has to be organic. I became sort of obsessed with that, but for good reason. And, you know, the, how we would prepare food in the house too. Like I, it was nothing could be nonstick. Everything had to go plastics. We really tried to eliminate plastics, all of our toys. You know, I was, I was sort of obsessed with wooden toys and let's avoid plastic as much as possible. And, and we did our best. I sort of, I, I, I had the obsession for everybody else. <laughs> so nobody else was freaking out. Um, I was sort of taking that burden on but we did our best. And there were instances where, you know, she didn't eat something that was organic. And yeah, there were plastic toys in the house. And I didn't freak out about it because I was doing what I could where mm. I could. And I think that's such an important thing to remember also is that we can control certain things and we can control as much as we can, but we have to be able to let some things go mm. just for our own sanity. But also, yeah. you know, that peace of mind that we're doing our best and that is enough. Mm, yeah. And, you know, gosh, the low tox journey. And when you start to learn about endocrine disruptors and, and mm. uh, talking about fragrance, there's a really great documentary on Netflix called Stink. And it's yeah. all about fragrance, fragrances and how toxic they really are. Like basically, and, and Dee Zabara, who's a nutritionist, she mentioned this in my second episode of the podcast. Like we spoke through low-tox living as well um, from more of a diet perspective. And, mm. you know, she was saying, and this is a good way to think about it, anything that smells really good <laughs> is toxic. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know, if yeah. yeah, like if it's real good, it's usually <laughs> toxic. And there are so many things, you know, everything that you've just mentioned there, you know, even when I was on my fertility journey, one big thing was appliances, you know, non-stick frying pans or spatulas, you know, just different things in our, our kitchen. It took me a good solid week to even go through everything in our kitchen because there was just so much yeah. that you sort of take for granted, you know, containers, plastic containers, even a lot of keep cups, like reusable coffee cups are plastic. So, you know, the worst thing you can do is to drink out of a disposable coffee cup because they really have like a lot of chemicals in the lining of a, of a coffee cup. But if you're going to use a reusable one, use steel and do your research mm -hmm. on it 
or glass. I have a lot of glass ones now, or there's bamboo. Like there's so many different yes. um, options, but even some of them that I had were, were plastic. So even the plastic thing alone, going through your kitchen and looking at what you eat out of or what your food comes in contact with from plastic is a mammoth, but a really, really important task, especially with kids, because if they're drinking out of plastic cups or plastic plates or this, that, and whatever, and, you know, of course there's some that we just need out of necessity, like, you know, you'll have backups and stuff, but Again, with kids' um, utensils, you can get a lot of really great bamboo, steel. Um, you know, I sometimes still give my kids porcelain bowls and, and plates and whatnot if the if I don't worry about it potentially breaking or if we're eating in a, in a room where there's carpet. So, you know, the worst thing that can happen is the carpet gets a little bit, you know, a bit of food here and there, like not a really big deal. I think we all know having kids, you're going to make a mess wherever you are. <laughs> you can't really get away yeah. from that. So. What else, um, what other tips do you have in terms of low-tox living? What do you see in the people that you work with? You know, and it's funny that you mentioned that, um, you know, plastic-free kitchen is somewhere I always suggest that everyone do their best to start there to eliminate plastics. But I think something that um, a lot of moms don't realize is that so much of the food that we buy that's convenient, which, of course, you know, we're all going to buy food that's convenient. But if it comes in plastic... And it's meant to go in the microwave. Don't make it in the microwave in the plastic. Take it out of the plastic and put it in a ceramic bowl or a glass bowl or something like that. And I think a lot of parents, you know, we sort of get wrapped up in, you know, just trying to make things happen as quickly as we can and get food ready, especially because we have, you know, fickle eaters. And you, you know, you, you, open up the, the plastic container and it's meant to go, it's meant to be heated in the microwave, in the plastic. That's it's convenient, but you know, just taking that extra step to put it in something else is, mm. is a great reminder, especially for moms. It's just, you know, it's okay if you need to buy that item that comes in plastic, cause we can't avoid it. It's, it's, it's mm. ubiquitous. It's absolutely everywhere. Everything they sell us is wrapped in plastic or comes in a plastic, you know, container, but you, you know, you can take it out and put it in something else when you're heating it up, because that's when the BPA and the phthalates leach out from those plastic containers is when we heat them up. And, you know, plastic Tupperware, I, I, I beg people to please don't use plastic Tupperware, just, you know, you know, reusable silicone pouches or glass and, and it'll last forever because the plastic stuff might be cheaper, but this, you can't put it in the dishwasher. And the second, you know, it gets stained, it's, you know, that it's etched and it's leaching all of those toxic chemicals. And so yeah, a plastic free kitchen, you know, you mentioning that is one of the things that I am very, uh, it's where I start, essentially, it's like, can, mm. can we do that? Because we can't eliminate plastic from everywhere in our life, but we can try to do it in the kitchen. And definitely those those paper coffee cups that are those are lined with PFAS chemicals. So it makes that inside of the lining, it makes it water resistant or liquid resistant. But those are PFAS chemicals. So mm. absolutely stopping there. But for me also, it's, and, and as you say, the endocrine disrupting chemicals, they are in lots of our personal care products and even, you know, products that are marketed for babies. You have to, you have to be able to read an ingredient list and at least be able to recognize some of like the really harmful ingredients. So parabens are a great one to avoid. 
Um, they disrupt our hormones. They actually act as estrogen in our bodies. And that's an easy one to recognize on an ingredient list because it literally says paraben. Fragrance is another one to avoid, and you want to avoid it because of the phthalates. So you're not going to see phthalates on the ingredient list, but you'll see fragrance. And so you know that if it's synthetic fragrance, that um, there's a 75% chance that however many chemicals are actually wrapped up in that umbrella term of fragrance, that there's going to be phthalates present. So that's always where I say to start, if it has fragrance in it, do not buy it, do not use it. Mm. Um, and if we can have a plastic free kitchen, you know, let's work towards that. Mm. There are so many chemicals that are hidden in our products. And when I went through my fertility journey of four rounds of IVF, not working, just very, very emotionally traumatic journey. And we just, we couldn't continue with it. And deciding to go down this natural route of being like, well, why can't a healthy young woman fall pregnant? Like this isn't, this is something we need to look at. One thing that I did when I I did this natural fertility sort of like 12 day free challenge and each day you had to do a different thing. And one day was like, you know, ridding your house of plastics. Another day was Mm -hmm. looking at everything that you put on your body. And I've just got up here and I might try and figure out how to add this as a link in the show notes. I've got this cheat sheet that tells you all of the chemicals to avoid in different things like toothpaste, hand wash and soap, like cooking gear, laundry products, cleaning products, skincare, huge one, Mm. um, sunscreen, nails, makeup, and deodorant. Now, these are all things that we probably just use because our parents used that brand or we used to that brand or we buy what's on sale or we buy what we you know, our preference without really thinking about the impact of using that on, on our bodies and, and the toxins, particularly deodorant, makeup and cooking gear. Like they were really big ones for me, you know, with makeup, if you use a couple of different products on your, on your face, anything that touches your skin, your skin's your largest organ. So of course it's going to be absorbed into your, into your bloodstream. So that and deodorant, like huge one, it's very, difficult to find a natural deodorant that actually works. And so that's been a big journey that I've been on. And then cooking gear was a huge one that I'd never thought of before. Like with the nonstick, you know, it says on this chart, like looking for aluminium, PFOA and PTFE, anything Mm -hmm. nonstick is just bad news and cheap enamel ceramics or other cookware coming from China. So like you know, looking at what could possibly be in there in terms of chemicals. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's just so much to look at. How do you go about sort of giving tips around overwhelm, you know, because all of those topics I've mentioned that there's quite a lot to look at in each one, like what's your advice to do with overwhelm in this? You're absolutely right. And overwhelm is a, is a big thing. And and it's one reason why I offer the services that I do, because it can feel extremely overwhelming, especially when you don't understand, you know, you're, you're being told to not, you know, use a product or avoid an ingredient. And you're like, but how do I even know that that's what's in it? I don't even know. And like you, you were saying the nonstick, the PFOA and the PFTE, those are PFAS because PFAS is a class of chemicals. PFOA though um, was banned back in like 2005. And so companies will say, oh, it's PFOA free, but it doesn't really say much because there's still several other different 
PFAS chemicals they could use or Gen mm. X chemicals they can use. And so the overwhelm is very real and it can feel very scary. And so I do suggest that, you know, it's, it's sort of a take it one day at a time and don't like, don't freak yourself out. Know that there are things that you can do. Um, know that there are things that you need to work towards changing, but don't expect yourself to do it in a day or a week or even a month. Like it is a process of learning what and how to avoid the things that we need to be avoiding. Because it is, if you rely on marketing alone, you are buying some of the most toxic products that are known to man, honestly, in the last hundred, in the last hundred years, we have created thousands upon thousands of chemicals that we have zero idea how they actually impact our bodies. And, you know, you mentioned the using products on your skin, our largest organ. And when it comes to the endocrine disrupting chemicals, most of them, that's the problem with them is that they are capable of, you know, penetrating our skin and getting into our bloodstream. Not every single chemical we rub on our bodies is going to do that, but the endocrine disrupting chemicals have that ability. And that's what is so harmful about them is that it's the tiny doses that matter and add up when it comes to our hormones. Mm. They're not like, you know, we've, we've, we've sort of been conditioned that the dose makes the poison. And that isn't the case when it comes to endocrine disrupting chemicals, because it's the tiny amounts that get in there and, and mess with the hormones and confuse our hormones and mimic them or block receptors. And it's not a big dose. It's tiny little seemingly significant doses you have the ability to avoid these products. I mean, years ago, a decade ago, you, you couldn't find clean, natural products that were effective. You know, you had to know somebody who was DIYing it in her kitchen. Um, otherwise you were using the products that you found at the store. And now we have, there's so much out there. Um, you just have to sort of know what to look for. And it does help to have a guide along the way. It does help to have a community of people who are sort of doing this with you um, because you can ask questions and you can learn things. Um, it isn't a journey that's easily done alone, especially if you're the only one in the household who is sort of concerned because you will get a lot of pushback from the people you live with. I can, I can attest to that myself. Mm. I'm, you know, my family and my daughter's father and he, he begrudgingly does what I tell him he needs to do, but he questions me a lot about why is this so necessary? And, and he's right to question it because we have been conditioned for so long that the products that we use are fine. Mm. So interesting, isn't it? Because even, I mean, a lot of people listening to this, probably if they're interested in low tox, they're, they're likely interested and conscious of the planet and they really go hand in hand. And it's, it's so funny that you know, it's really only been the last decade or so that that people have sort of woken up to how much even the products that do say that they're low tox or they're good for you or they're good for the planet, there's so much greenwashing out there. And I think that people are really taking the time to be a lot more educated now when they make those decisions. Like I could, yeah, tell you stories that would make your like hair <laughs> stick on end from my PR days of the brands that say they have a green product, say they or, or they market it in a way that implies that and mm -hmm. you, they might use like green packaging or they'll say it's like eco-friendly or whatnot. And there's actually no 
there's no governing body over this. So they can say whatever they want, you know, like it's not like nutrition where there's the five-star rating or there's, you know, there's actual parameters around what you can Mm -hmm. say. So it is very easy to get swayed if you're not doing Mm -hmm. your homework and you don't know what to look for. But also from the eco-friendly point of view, if you are making things from scratch, if you're using only one or two ingredients in your dishwashing liquid or um, how you brush your teeth or wash your hair or whatnot, or, or even eating, then that's also better for the planet because you're likely there's less chemicals going off into the water system. But also if you're use if you're making it at home and putting it in like glass jars, then that's reducing plastic. And a lot of, you know, my journey with Freddie and starting to go really low tox and, and learning a lot about it. I have a water ionizer. I was told to drink alkaline water and I would have had to order that in plastic bottles. The irony was just like not lost on me. I'm like, okay, so you want me to drink alkaline water, but you want me to order it in plastic bottles where the plastic's probably leached into the water. And I'm You know, like it's also with the water ionizer I have, it only stays alive, you know, um, electrolyzed reduced water for 48 hours because it's it's live, it's live water. So I invested into this machine. I have amazing water, but then also because it creates different pHs of water, I started actually using them for their purposes. So I used 2.5 pH as a cleaning agent. So I was like cleaning the house with it, with water. I was using 11.0, which was oil emulsifying to take off herbicides and pesticides. So you mentioned before about organic, I was doing my best to buy organic, but when I couldn't, I knew I could at least soak it and get off the herbicides and pesticides because a lot of people don't realize they're water resistant, of course, because rain is water. (laughs) So like (laughs) if they're not water resistant, they're not, it's not going to work when it rains on these crops. So it was, yeah, it was mind boggling to me to see, um, you know, like how much actually comes off fruit and vegetables when you do that. But then also it was a fun sort of experiment for me to be like, right, what else can I do? Like I started brushing my teeth with the 2.5 and the 11.0. And then I started washing my face with the 6.0 because that's the perfect pH for skin and hair. And, you know, started really looking into things where, you know, I would buy the product that I need to buy that, you know, maybe I couldn't use the water for, but then I was getting really experimental with the water and it, it just like opened my eyes to how much plastic packaging we have in our house. Cause every cleaning product, everything that you put on your skin, like you'll notice it now, like your shampoo, your conditioner, like there is just so much plastic. So I feel like the conversation is kind of twofold. It's like living a low tox lifestyle for you and your health and, and your family's health, but also look at how good it is for the environment because plastic takes hundreds of years to break down. The sad fact is every piece of plastic that has ever been created is still on this planet. It's still in existence. Even if you think it's going to recycling and being made into something else, which I mean, I hope to God it is when we put it into the recycling, but the reality is we all know and we all want to put it out of our minds that we don't want to know what happens to that recycling, right? Like every piece of plastic is there. So if you're buying plastic and you're like, it's okay, I'm going to recycle it. That is not the answer. The answer is not giving it to someone else to be their problem because when you give it away, it's not away. It's still here. It's still existent and it's still probably not getting recycled. So is there anything you want to say around that conversation with like the, you know, the eco-friendly side of living low tox as well? 
Absolutely. And, and you really did sort of hit the nail on the head there with, with plastics and how, you know, they don't biodegrade, they don't go away, there is no away. Um, and these plastics mainly end up in our oceans. Mm-hmm. Um, that's predominantly where they go. And uh, it's some really low amount. And I, I, I don't want to don't quote me on this, but I think it's something around like maybe less than 30% of plastics are actually recycled or or used again. Mm. Um, But the rest really do end up in oceans and microplastics. And we're finding these that microplastics are crossing the, um, the cord blood barrier into the placenta, you know, tiny little fragments of plastic that you can't see that are end up in our water and in our waterways and end up in the water that we drink and everything. And so microplastics, if you, if you see a plastic bottle floating in the ocean, just know that it's leaching tiny bits and particles of plastic. And so the fish in the ocean are also, they're eating the plastic and we eventually eat the fish. And so, you know, we are just um, not, only are we polluting our own bodies, but we, we really are helping to destroy the, you know, the ecosystems of this planet. And there is a better way. It just takes a little bit more effort. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you learn so much in the process. It's actually, you know, it's one of yeah. those things that yes, it's a little bit more effort, but gosh, it's a very rewarding lifestyle for you and your family. And if you're raising kids this way, like your daughter's so lucky to have you and to be learning from you because it will just be her norm, you know, yes. like she's really learning about that and how to live a healthy lifestyle. So that's awesome. Yeah. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you wanted to share on low tox living or um, especially for women, children, pregnant women? You know, again, I just want to drive home the, the idea that, there is a lot of fear mongering out there in the low tox space. And there is a lot of misinformation. And like you said, there's a lot of greenwashing. Mm. Um, And so it's, it is a journey of taking it one day at a time, learning what you can learn when you can learn it. And, and honestly, just not panicking because, Mm. you know, doing what you can, when you can is good enough. And, um, and you will learn so much more if you, relax a little bit into this low tox lifestyle and just know that you will learn what you need to learn when you need to learn it, it will come. And, um, and there are people who are living this way who can be helpful and that you can reach out to. There's lots of communities of, you know, Facebook, online, social media, Instagram, all of those things where you can reach out and be in a community of other people living this way. And there's lots of great, like there's fantastic DIY recipes out there for all sorts of things. Um, You know, anything, your laundry detergent, your dishwashing detergent, um, the, actually the deodorant that I use, you mentioned this earlier, you know, it's really difficult to find like a natural deodorant that really Mm. works. And I found one and it's a friend of mine out in California. She has um, rising sun jewelry, she calls it. And so she makes this beautiful jewelry, but she also makes this fantastic arrowroot based natural deodorant and I love it. Um, but you know, it's, I think it's like three ingredients and they're all organic and she makes them in these beautiful little, um, aluminum tins and sends them to me. So there are, um, there are fantastic DIYers out there who make really awesome products. 
Mm, Pinterest is just like the best place to go to search these things too. I've, I've found a lot yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah um, thank you, you so much. That's such great thank information. You. And if you want to follow Amanda, she has amazing content on Instagram. So I'll link her Instagram below in the show notes. Go and give her a follow and check out her content. Um, you also are doing one-on-one sessions. You mentioned the 90-minute sessions. What, what I do. do they entail? So I have um, one of my offerings is a 90 minute um, low tox clarity call with me. So if you are new to low tox living, or if you've sort of started your journey and just need some help, you know, figuring it out, like what to prioritize or where to go first, I um, have a 90 minute call where we sort of dive into your unique circumstances. And then you get me for 10 days afterwards. So you can pick my brain for questions and follow-ups and you'll get personal recommendations from me um, and a plan for moving forward. Mm, That's awesome. Such a great service. I love, uh, we were saying this before we recorded, I love that Amanda's journey has brought her here, you know, from being a teacher to then being a mom and going down this low touch journey and then creating a business and a career based off your passion. I love when women go for it and just make that happen. So good on you. Um, you. And last question that I love to ask any guest that comes on here, what is the advice that you would give to your 21 year old self? If you could go back and give her some advice. Go for it. Don't be so damn scared. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. That would be it. Just go for it. Love it. So I'm almost going to cry. I, think, I don't think I'm going to yeah. cry. <laughs> <laughs> That's so gorgeous. I always love the answers that women give. It's so beautiful. Your daughter's very lucky again. Oh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. We're raising powerful young women and men. Um, Thank you so much for joining. And if you got any value from this episode, we would love for you to screenshot, share it in your stories, tag us, send us a message if there was something that really resonated with you. Subscribe to the podcast. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Amanda. That was beautiful. Thank you for having me, Jessica. 